today I'm beginning week two of my series called Good Plans. Everybody say this with me. God has good plans for my life. That is a faith statement. Amen? Because this message today is for those of you right now that can't see that. You literally cannot see the forest through the trees. Instead, what you see in your life right now is trouble, is trial, is tribulation, is heartache, is heartbreak. Something is holding you back because of what's happening in your life right now, you can't see the fact that God has good plans for you now and in the future. And everything we've talked about this year has led me to this point. I think we're at a point right now, we're talking about how bad things are in our life, we're past that. We've got to put that aside and we've got to begin to fight. And the only way we can do that is know that we know that we know that God is with us and he has good plans for each one of us as individuals. Not just for the church, not just for our nation, not just for the world eventually as Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom, but for us individually, he has good plans for us. And so last week we focused on Psalm 23, which I have told you is my favorite Psalm in all the Bible, although now that I've been going through the Psalm that I wanna talk about today, wow, I, I don't know. It's up for grabs now who's gonna take over that position as being my favorite Psalm. But David, David said some pretty amazing things, or I should say he sung some pretty amazing things in that psalm. And one of the things he said is that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is near. And I said last week, as long as we know that God is near, that Jesus is with us every step of the way, then everything's going to be all good. Amen? We could get bullets going by our head. We could be injured. We could have a, a chronic illness, as Pastor Just, Justin was talking about up here. We could have something happen to us that we didn't expect. Marriage issues, whatever the problem is. But what should give us the hope to keep on moving forward is knowing that Jesus is with us every step of the way and that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Amen? So what I said last week was simply this, is that the reason why we know God has good plans for us now and in the future is because a good God is with us every step of the way. And he is altogether good. He is love. And so I have him with me if I've asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life and I believe in him and I'm following him. I've repented on my sin and I'm now following him. I'm on this journey. If I have him, then I know without a shadow of a doubt that he's got good plans for me. And I can rest in that no matter what happens to me, no matter what happens in this world. And so my action step for you last week was in order to press on, we need to press in. And I know it's hard. It's hard for me, believe it or not. Like I literally have to sacrifice my personal time at times to be able to preach to you all. I'm taking the time to put this message together. And what God is saying to me, what he has been saying to me for quite some time is that that's not good enough, Jeff. I want you. You and I need to have that personal time together. You need to press into me more. See, that's where the fight begins. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of complaining about my issues. It's like it's time to put on the boxing gloves and let's go, right? And fighting looks totally different with Jesus than it does when you're in this world. I'm not talking about knocking somebody out. I'm not even talking about knocking the devil out. What I'm talking about is getting on your knees, spending time on the word, 
literally taking your walk with Jesus so seriously that if you miss time with him throughout the day, you feel like crap. And not guilt, but that somehow you're missing out because you're not connected to him as much as he wants you to be. There is that responsibility that we have. And so we find ourselves, maybe some of you in here do, find yourselves in a position to where things are just going all crazy. Like, if I could say it, all hell is breaking loose in your life. And see, it's hard to see that God has good plans for you now because you've been calling on him. You've been asking Jesus to deliver you. You've been asking him to heal you, whatever that issue is. And you're like, Lord, where the heck are you? Like, I don't need you to move now. I don't need you to move in the future. I need you to move yesterday. Yesterday is when I needed you to move. And guess what? Today, we're going to focus on yesterday and the fact that he already has moved in your life. So if you're like, I need him to move yesterday, well, guess what? He's already moved. It's a matter of whether or not you're remembering when he has moved. So yes, last week we talked about the present, how he has good plans for us in the present. So now we're going to focus on the good plans that's already unfolded in your life in your past. That's what Jesus said. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 18. Beginning in verse 10, and this is a situation where he's talking to his disciples. He's taken some children and put them in their midst. And he said this, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. He's speaking to his children. And as we become a believer in Jesus, we now become a child of God. So we're God's children. He said, for I tell you, that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does not he leave the ninety-nine in order to go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that have never went astray. Listen carefully in this next verse. He says, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Here's the good news about good plans in your life. Where you're at right now, Jesus is not going to let you perish. That's the will of the Father. If you're questioning whether or not this is it for me, whether I'm done, whether my marriage is done, whether my health is not going to get any better, whether I'm ever going to find work in this crazy economy that we're in right now, whether there's ever going to be peace in my life, Guess what? It's not the will of the Father for you to remain in that position. And that Jesus is coming after us. He already has. That's the dirty little secret. And if you're in Jesus right now, if you're a child of God, then you're already saved. You're not going to perish for all eternity. But if you're not, you have an opportunity to allow him to come into your life, to change your life, and see his good plans unfold before you. He does not want any of us to perish. But there's one thing we have to do to remind ourselves, to discipline ourselves as we're fighting this fight, as we're trying to continue to move forward in following Jesus and allowing his good plans to unfold in our life, that one thing is to remember our past. Now, I got to repent of something here. I know for the whole year I've been saying, forget your past. Forget your past. Remember what Paul said, forget what lies behind and stretch forward to what lies ahead. I know I've been saying that a lot. I've been beating that drum. And I want to clarify something. 
What I'm saying is do not allow the, the sins of the past, the things that you've done wrong, the stumbling and the falling you've done in the past that Jesus has forgiven if you're in Christ. Do not remember those things. Don't let them hold you back. What we need to remember is how God has gotten us through those things, amen? That's what we need to remember. We need to remember how he has saved us. And if you're in Christ, you should remember the day that you received him as your Lord and Savior. Those are the things that I want you all and what I need to remember. Those moments where God has delivered me. Those moments to where it looked like my life was over, but I'm still here in this auditorium breathing, amen? Those are the things that we need to remember. So if there's one thing you take away from today's message, it's what? Remember. Remember. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this day. I just thank you for everybody that's in this room watching online. I actually thank you for the trials and the tribulations that they're going through right now because what's going to happen is they're going to see your hand move and those things are going to become a thing of the past that they can remember how you've moved in their life. And Father, I thank you that as we reflect on your word today and the words of Asaph, the musician that wrote this psalm that we're going to talk about today, that you encourage us, that you help remind us that you're with us, that you do indeed have good plans for our life. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So tomorrow is Memorial Day. And what is a memorial? This is Webster's Dictionary definition is something, especially a structure established to remind people of a person or event. So Memorial Day, we're supposed to remember those who have sacrificed their lives for our nation. And there's memorials everywhere. You'll see them all throughout cities and, and towns and, and our nation stretched out all over the place, right? So my favorite memorial is Lincoln Memorial. It's a Lincoln Memorial. I grew up right outside of Washington, D.C., and there have been many Memorial Days where my parents took me to see people like Ronald Reagan speak at Arlington National Cemetery. I remember spending a lot of time at Arlington. I remember taking the little American flags and putting them in front of the headstones as a Boy Scout. Memorial Day has a very special meaning to me. And it's there to remind us every one of those white stones that we see that are spread out miles and miles around the acreage there in, in Virginia, that is a reminder of all those men and women that have died for us and some notable people also that are buried there like President Kennedy, Justice Thurgood Marshall. So it just reminds us and as you go down the slope of Arlington National Cemetery, you come to the Potomac River and you cross Potomac River into Washington, D.C. and the very first memorial that you'll see is the Lincoln Memorial. This is my favorite one. It's huge. Pictures don't do it justice. And if you haven't visited this, this city, you need to go visit it, Washington, D.C. It's amazing. But, man, I have walked through those pillars and stood there and stared at President Lincoln, that statue, for so many times. And every time I do it, I'm just awestruck. I'm awestruck at how that man led our nation. And we know God was behind it, but that man led our nation through the, probably the worst time in our history, the Civil War. Most of the bodies that are in that cemetery are from the Civil War. Because it was a joke that the Union, when they took Robert E. Lee family's property, which is what it is, it was a joke and an insult to bury their dead on his property. 
and that's where you get Arlington National Cemetery. As you go down the mall, you'll see to your right the Jefferson Memorial. As you continue to go down, then you'll start seeing memorials for, our, for those that served and died in our wartime. So you'll see the World War II Memorial. You'll see the Korean War Memorial. You'll see the Vietnam Wall War Memorial. Keep on going down the mall, you'll see the Washington Monument. As you can continue to move, then you'll run into our museums. And everything that are in those museums are memorials to our history as a nation. From the Star Spangled Banner to the lunar module from the Apollo 11 mission sitting in the Air and Space Museum. There's all these things that are there to remind us of our past to give us the hope that we need for our future. Almost like if our country can do all that and we're still standing, then if something were to come now, we would survive it and we would keep moving. Amen. So where do we get this idea of memorializing things. Well, that is in the Old Testament. There are several instances where memorials were set up by the Israelites as they continued to follow God into his plan to acquire the promised land. Genesis chapter 8 is one instance. Jacob wanted to remember that he heard from God and wanted to memorialize the exact location where he heard from God. And so he set up Bethel and a stone was laid to memorialize that moment. Exodus chapter 12, God commanded Moses to recognize the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover Feast. These are two feasts that he commanded him to make sure all the generations after him remembered the fact that God delivered them from the hands of Egyptian slavery and brought them into the wilderness through the Red Sea. The fact that the angel of death passed over because they painted the blood on their doorpost. These were things they needed to do to memorialize those moments. Joshua chapter 4. I'm actually going to read this. Verse 5 through 7. This is when Joshua crossed the Jordan River. Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be the people, shall be to the people of Israel a what? A memorial forever. So to remember, go back and look at those stones and their children will see that and remember that God actually delivered them into the promised land as he promised. 1 Samuel chapter 7, another example. God promised Samuel that the Israelites would defeat the Philistines. And when they did, he set up a rock called Ebenezer. And that rock, that name of that rock means, remember the Lord has helped us. Remember the Lord has helped us. And of course, this is the one that's probably, and I would say the most important one in the entire Bible. Luke chapter 22, verse 19, during the first communion, the last supper. And he, that's Jesus, took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup has poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Memorializing what God has done. You can see it throughout the Bible. Every month we do that when we celebrate communion. and We celebrate what Jesus has done for us. It's a reminder of what he's done. And what that should do is not just be a check mark in our mind as, okay, that happened in history a couple thousand years ago. No, that should be something that we actually remember and we allow it 
to, to change our hearts from maybe being down in the dumps to having actual hope. Amen? It's an opportunity. And as believers, this is not something that we do annually. I know Memorial Day is an annual thing. Veterans Day is an annual thing. Christmas, Easter, those are annual things. But especially with Christmas and Easter, these are things that we need to remember on a daily basis. Amen? We can't just shove it down the road and say, you know what, I'll celebrate that next year when it comes around. Now, we need to remember the things that God has done. And we need to remember the fact that Jesus went to the cross, died for our sins, and then three days later resurrected from the dead. That should be an hourly thing that we remember. If you're communing with him as the word was given up here to commune with him, that is something that we need to do all the time. But I think it's a practice that we don't do, this memorializing, this remembrance, if you will. We don't do because we're so caught up in the axle about our problems. We're so lost in the weeds of the busyness of this world we find a way to push Jesus down and not make him a priority in our life. And so when things happen, it's catastrophic. It's a crisis. It's over. I'm done. Sign me off. I'm ready to crawl in a hole and die. But if we have that communion, if we have that memorializing, that remembrance practice that we discipline in our lives as a disciple of Jesus, then when crap hits the fan, it's not going to kill us. It's not going to destroy us. Instead, when things happen, you know what that happens with me? It emboldens me. All right, I see what's happening here. Maybe I'm on the right path. And just maybe because I'm on the right path and I am going into battle as God prepares my hands and my fingers for battle, then I need to press in more to Jesus, right, in order to press on. So this memorializing thing is something that is not just an annual thing. This is a daily part of our walk. So where are we going to go today? Psalm 77, my new favorite psalm. <laughs> psalm 77, move over to Psalm 23. Here comes 77. How do we remember the things that God has done for us? That sounds religious, right? I need to remember. I need to set up a stone. I need to light a candle. I need to do something that's kind of like a religious thing. This is not religious. This process that we're going to see today is very much relationship-based. And Asaph wrote this psalm for David. He's one of David's chief musicians. So think of, I don't know, insert your favorite musician. Michael Jackson, I don't know. That was Asaph. It's probably a bad comparison, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying, right? One of the chief musicians, he wrote this. And listen, Asaph had a lot of inspiration to write this because if you look back on Israel's history, a lot of stuff happened, right? This wasn't just for him writing it for him or for David. This was him writing this psalm for the entire nation of Israel. They just came out of the Babylonian captivity. They're about to face the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Romans. If you wanted to get even closer to home, Nazi Germany. This is something that the Israelites, the nation of Israel, would hold on to as they're going through so much stuff, as everything came against them to wipe them out. This was a psalm that they would gravitate to. This is why Asaph wrote this psalm. And this is why I think if it's good enough for an entire nation of people, then it's good enough for us, right, as individuals. So when you read this, it's a good thing. Look at the history of why these psalms were written. Study yourself approved so that when you walk through this and you read these psalms, 
you're not just trying to make it up on your own. You're not trying to just use it for you. You've got to understand that somebody poured out through divine revelation of the Holy Spirit their heart and soul into this thing, and this is meant to transform people. It's meant to transform you. Stop it. So this is what Asaph wrote. If you have your ESV translation, <laughs> there's a subheading that says, in the day of trouble, I seek the Lord. Maybe that's you. Minus, I seek the Lord. You're in a day of trouble, and you've sought the Lord, and you've sought the Lord, and you've sought the Lord, and maybe you've quit seeking the Lord. What well, God is saying here, just by that subheading, you're in the day of trouble, so now seek me. See how I'm, saying, how I'm doing this? See how the Holy Spirit works? But the only way you're going to get this encouragement is you've got to stick your nose in it, and you've got to read, and you've got to pray and ask God to give you this revelation. So in verse 1, Asaph starts out this way. He says, I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God. That's times two. That means I'm really hurting here, man. Our nation's really hurting right now. Not just once, but twice, I'm crying out to you. And we're starting the relationship phase here. This is, I, I know God well enough to know that he's hearing me. Because I'm one of his children, right? So I'm crying to him, man. Now, yeah, I've cried to my neighbor, I've cried to my spouse, I've cried to my friends, but they're not with me all the time because there are times when I'm by myself. So guess who I'm crying out to? God. And this is what I love about this, this verse. The last part of it is, and he will, what? Hear me. He's listening. Asaph knows that when he cries out, God's going to hear him. That's relationship. That's security. That's knowing that he has good plans for my life. That's walking in this faith that where things happen, it does not throw me off. I know he will hear me. Verse 2, he says, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. Yeah, I, I still cry out to him. I still binge watch Netflix because I don't want to think about my problem. Worse yet, I go on a binge and drink myself to death because I don't want to think about it. Maybe you have those moments, or you've had those moments, but ultimately what he's saying here is, yeah, I'm human. I may have those kind of moments where those things happen, but ultimately where, where I find my help is from the one who makes heaven and earth, right? That's who I seek, and I'm seeking the Lord. He says, in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. And this is the moment when we're alone. Nobody else is around us at night, unless you're married and that person's laying next to you. But usually you're alone at night with your thoughts. And there have been plenty of nights where I've been in bed staring at the ceiling in the dark. Lisa's already over there sawing logs. No, she's not. She didn't snore. <laughs> but I'm staring at the ceiling in the dark and I got my thoughts going. I'm alone with my thoughts. And at that moment... I'm constantly reaching out to God and sometimes will fall asleep with whatever my problem is that's on my mind, fresh there in the morning when I wake up. My soul refuses to be comforted. Man, I know it's easy for us to get caught up in church. And what I mean by church, in the system, right? The system of, hey, the joy of the Lord is my strength. 
And that's true, but my soul still refuses to be comforted. Asaph is being real here. This is real, folks. This is a human condition. This is the sinful world that we live in. This day of trouble. I got news for you. Every day is a day of trouble. You don't have to go far to see that. Man, I'm sitting in my office looking over this the other day. A magnitude 6.1 earthquake hits Japan. A couple days before that, 5.5 hits off the coast of Northern California. It's like, I see it, man. Every day is a day of trouble. There's something going down. But I seek the Lord. And I just know he is with me. Verse 3. This is incredible. He says, when I remember God, I moan. Wow, how many of you would say that is a bad thing? You should be excommunicated from the church if you say that. I remember God, yet I moan. Because when I meditate, my spirit faints. And you see that Selah. That Selah. That is a moment to pause. You see that Selah? There is a moment to pause and to reflect on what's being written here. To reflect on these words. I remember God, I moan, and my meditate, when I meditate on him and on the things of him, my spirit faints. What he's saying here is, man, I have sought the Lord, I have cried out, I know he's going to hear me, but I'm still crying, and is he going to move in my life? There is a question of, is he going to move? I've been in this position for so long, I've experienced these bad things, and, and you know what, frankly, I don't know if I trust him anymore. So when I think about him Compared to the situation that I am, is my faith there? Is he going to move? And instead I moan and my spirit faints. I know this is sounding really bad right now. Cheer up. It's going to get better. I promise. He's wrestling with his faith a little bit. Not that he doesn't believe in Jesus or God. No, but whether or not God is going to move in his life. He's wrestling. Selah, taking that moment to pause and think. Verse 4. He says, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Man, if you ever wanted a verse on mental health, this right here is it. How many of you have been in a situation where things are so bad that all you want to do is sleep? Oh, come on. Thank you. Yep. Asaph is there. He says, he has to hold my eyelids open. Like, if I'm going to get anything done and actually survive what I'm going through, God needs to be there to strengthen me and literally hold me awake because all I want to do is sleep and do nothing. He says, I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. So what happens is you start to shut down. You don't want to talk to anybody. You feel like the cat has your tongue, literally. So now you're just stuck by yourself. And now you're exactly where our enemy, the devil, wants you to be. Isolated. Alone. Not fighting anymore. And when you're in this place, it's really hard to see that God has good plans for your life. Let alone the future. Mental health is so important, and I don't want to get off on that tangent, but it is. He's depressed at the end of his rope. 
these first four verses in Psalm 77 is him emoting. This is his troubled phase, if you will. This psalm is set up to where he's pouring his guts out to God. He's like, I need you. I mean, we, we sing it up here tonight. Oh, God, my God, I need you now. That's what he's saying. And then this happens. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the fight doesn't really begin because I feel like a lot of us in here have already tried to fight and we're starting to feel like we're failing. But this is where you take it to the next level of fight. There's something in you that says, I'm not giving up. There's something in you that's saying, don't quit. Man, that word, it was so timely by Mary today. Don't stink and quit. That's like rising up in you. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit that's in you, man. He's saying, man, you're on the verge. You're on the cusp of great things, not just good things, but great things happening. And listen, i got to be careful here because I'm not trying to preach a message to where all of a sudden you're going to be millionaires and rock stars and all that. So that's not what I'm trying to say. You get that Lexus or whatever it is that you want to drive. Aston Martin just released a brand new car, the DB12. It's absolutely phenomenal. And I caught myself lusting after a car, okay? And I'm like, whoa, that's, that's not what I'm talking about here. The great things, the good things that God wants to do for you is to use you for his kingdom and for his glory. Not everybody has to be up here preaching the word, but to be a light in the dark places that God has called you to be in, whether it's your workplace, your home, as a stay-at-home mom, whatever it is, where you're going to school, wherever. There's so much at stake here, and you're facing it right now, and you're wondering, does he have good plans for my life? and you want to quit, your flesh is screaming at you, you can't even stay awake, you don't even want to talk to anybody, all it seems like you're doing is complaining to God, and there's something in you that's saying, do not quit. And that thing is a he, it's the Holy Spirit. So verse 5, Asaph does a switch. He says, I consider the days of old. The years long ago, he is disciplining himself to remember, to memorialize what God has done in the past. Some of us need to do that. That's part of being a disciple of Jesus is that even though we feel like we just want to close in, what he's saying is get out of that and start disciplining yourself to remember how God has moved in your life. Well, you might say, well, I don't remember a time where God has ever moved in my life. Like, I didn't see the Red Sea part or the Jordan River dry up or, or you know, manna fall from heaven or I haven't seen anything like that. Well, the fact that you're still here living and breathing, you're hearing the good news of the gospel, maybe some of you, I believe the majority of you in here have already received Jesus, you have seen him move. Verse six, he says, I said, I said, I said, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. So he's remembering the things that he thought when he was alone at night as he was crying out to God. And now he's beginning to meditate on his heart. This is a moment where I believe us as believers on this side of the cross 
is saying, Holy Spirit, remind me why I'm here. Remind me how I got here. Remind me where I'm headed as a child of God. My diligent search of my heart, this is basically calling the Holy Spirit to help him remember. Jesus said that I'm not going to leave you as orphans even though I'm going away. Instead, I'm going to send you a helper. That's the Holy Spirit. And what is he going to help you do? To remember everything that I've commanded you to do. His word. It's like seek, search my heart, Holy Spirit. Show me. Show me what has happened to me because of Jesus. Encourage me. And I love this because the relationship is about to unfold as we're entering the remembering phase. I'm done being troubled. It's still there. I'm not ignoring it. I'm not saying, I'm not burying my head in the sand. I admit the problem is still there. But now I'm disciplining myself to go into this phase of remembrance. So verse 7 Asaph writes this, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah, pause. Think about that. Think about that. The Holy Spirit is not definitively telling him these are the things that God has done. Instead, he's partnering and saying, ask these questions. Look for the evidence. Is there evidence that the Lord, that the Lord forever spurns you? Is there evidence that he's not going to be favorable to you? Is there evidence that his love for you has ceased? Is there evidence that his promises are coming to an end? Is there evidence that God has forgotten you or stopped his compassion? Where's the evidence? Start asking these questions. The Holy Spirit is, is partnering with us to be able to do that. And it's a technique, as some of you know, I am in therapy. I have been talking to a therapist about things that I need to work on from my past. And what happens is I've learned that my past my human past has created some issues for me now. And so I'm trying to learn some things to help me get over those things so that I can be a better pastor, a better husband, a better father, a better human being. And there's some fears that I have in my life because of things that have happened to me in my past. And so if I go to my therapist and say, this is what I'm afraid of, he says, where's the evidence? that what you're thinking is gonna actually happen. And what I'm finding out in my relationship with God is I'll bring a problem to him and I'll be like, go down to the worst case scenario. Well, this is gonna, you know, since X is happening, Y is gonna happen. And what I'm now learning is he's saying, well, where's the evidence that I'm gonna allow something like that to happen to you, man? Haven't you seen me move in your life? I'm going to brag on my wife a little bit here, if it's okay with you, if I do that. She pushed out my firstborn, Asia, with no drugs. Zip. Natural childbirth. 
And we prayed for that. And her and I prayed in the spirit all during the labor process. Everybody thought we were crazy. I don't care. They thought we were crazy. Whatever. We prayed in spirit. Man, time came. God did his thing. Asia came out perfectly healthy. No drugs. Natural childbirth. She was out of the hospital the next day. Then Elijah comes along. Yeah. (laughs) Different story. He decided to stick his hand out. I literally saw this little arm sticking out of my wife, blue. Matter of fact, I stuck my finger down there and he grabbed onto it. So he and I had had the first meeting and he wasn't even out of my wife's belly. Emergency C-section. Not like the first time, but praise God, he's healthy. He's here today. He's your youth pastor, praise God, right? And then Zoe comes along. And she's different because nothing wrong happened during the process of being birthed into this world. But what we asked God was for him to give her blue eyes, which is almost impossible because if you know my genetic makeup, that's why all my kids kind of have dark eyes and dark skin. Um, Zoe, well, Elijah, you need to go tambo, bro. But yeah. But Zoe has blue eyes. So listen, if there are times when I get down in the dumps about things, even some of the things that we think are little, like the blue eyes, that's not really little for us. That's pretty dramatic because we specifically asked for that and God answered our prayers. But what I'm saying is go back and look at what God has done. So then I can start to formulate triggering these questions. Like go to him and say, hey, when was the time that you didn't answer my prayer, man? Now, there are times when God doesn't specifically answer the prayers the way we want him to. But ultimately he does in his way. But this is awesome. He's asking these questions because... He's searching for the evidence of when God has never come through. And the dirty little secret is he always comes through. Verse 11. This is what he said. He goes, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Now he's saying, I'm going to make myself remember. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work. And meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. And what God is great, like our God. Affirming that God can do anything with him. All things are possible. He is the God of the impossible. I love that. This has ministered to me so much. Like, I, I actually am doing this now. Because I feel what this man is feeling. I'm not saying I'm depressed, okay? I'm, but I'm, I feel this guy. I hear him, man. We have this saying in my family, I smell what you're stepping in. I, I get it. Like, what, what's happening here is God has moved in my past, which allows me to know that he's going to do it again. And it's like, now all of a sudden, my hope is completely on him. Not that my situation goes away. But in the fact that I know he's with me and I know he's going to do something again because he's already done something. The good plans he has for me now are going to be great plans in the future. And the reason why they're good now is because I'm in a position to where he's going to be able to move again. And I get to see that. And I'm so excited about that. 
So you've cried out, you've taken a moment to remember, and now you move into the next part of this psalm, verse 14 through verse 20. This part is the praise part. I know, you think you're all that in a bag of chips because you can cry out to God and you can remember, but man, you're really, really a full bag of chips if you can praise him in the midst of your pain and suffering, that you can see his goodness in the midst of what it is that you're going through. And this is what Asaph does. He goes, you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah, he pauses. And as he pauses, the Holy Spirit drops this into his heart, the Red Sea. The fact that they're even where they are today is because God delivered them from the hands of slavery in Egypt and moved them across dry ground through the Red Sea to the other side. But he had to pause and let the Holy Spirit minister to him, and here you go. When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep, the deep trembled, if I can read. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This praise phase is maybe the next thing you all need to do. And maybe some of you in here are saying, I, I'm not experiencing any trouble right now. And I've said this before and I'm not saying this to be doom and gloom, but there will be something that will happen that you'll need to fall back on this psalm. We're in a world where it's going to happen. There's going to be trials and tribulation. I mean, Jesus promised that, promised that there would be suffering, that we need to pick up our cross and follow him. There's a reason why we're having to pick up a cross that's not an instrument of fun and good times and rock and roll. It's because this life can be hard, and it will be at times. But maybe this is where we need to be, is to praise him for what he's already done. Like, I think sometimes that praise is in the heart when you think about how mighty he is. And I've shared this a little bit before. I have a, a really nice backyard, and I've got some hummingbirds that come, and they're back in full force now. And I'll sit, sit there on the porch, and if something as tiny as a hummingbird reminds me to praise God of how awesome he is. Because he's so big. He created the universe, but yet this tiny little thing that brings so much joy to me. We just need to praise him. And what stops us is our flesh because we so badly want the relief. We just want to feel good. And the way that we can go past that is by remembering and praising him. What I'm trying to say is this. It's all worth it. You may not see that now. You may not feel that now, but it's worth it, what you're going through. It's worth it because, like I said, you will see God move again. And you'll be able to look back and say, 
all right, now I get it. And my trust and my faith in you has been grown tremendously because of it. And not only that, now I can minister to somebody else that might be going through the same thing. And there's this old saying that history, history repeats itself, right? It does. We're seeing as the world goes that history indeed repeats itself. This is the reason why we have Memorial Day. This is the reason why we should go back and remember what God has done. Because the history of God's goodness is going to repeat itself. All we have to do is remember. If everybody would please stand. Your action step for this week is to take some time and write down, whether you're going through something now or not, write down what God has done for you in the past, how his hand has moved. I started my list earlier this week and I couldn't get past my own kids and my wife. Like the fact that God brought me her into my life I don't deserve her. But there's, there's this very humbling thing and how God's peace floods us as I'm looking for the evidence of his goodness, taking the time to allow the Holy Spirit to remember me and then to write it down, make it plain for all to see, amen, including yourself. And that way, when things start to happen, you can go back and look at it. You can remember. And what God showed me is we don't have stones necessarily that we're going to set up. I know there's like Washington, D.C., all these fancy, fancy memorials and things like that, which I think are important. But ultimately in heaven, the memorial, number one, is Jesus in his resurrected body where we'll see the scars. But then we also are memorials to God's goodness, amen? Us, personally, as children of God, to the fact that when people look at us, the reason why people hate the church that are not in the church is because they see Jesus. We represent him. We are causing them to remember and to think about him, and they want nothing to do with us. We are walking memorials. And what I want us to be are good memorials. And that is the joy that's in us because no matter what is going on in our life, he is with us. If you're in here today, I've got everybody's heads bowed. And you're going through something right now and you've given up the whole idea that God is good and he has good plans for my life. And no one's looking around. Then raise your hand and let me see that. Maybe you just want somebody to pray with you. Make this a reminder. I see the hand over there. Thank you. Anybody else have something they're going through right now and they've kind of lost hope in the fact that God has good plans for their life? And there's no shame in it. No shame in admitting that. I see that hand over there. Anybody else? Holy Spirit is moving. I'm just going to sit here for a minute. I know there's more than two people in this church that has something they're going through. Anybody? This is a moment. It's Memorial Day. Perfect opportunity 
and say, Lord, I need you. And Lord, I'm going through something right now and sometimes I can't even think about you because it hurts me. It causes my soul to grieve or to moan. But Lord, I know by me sticking my hand up today, I know you're going to do it again. There's another hand over there. I appreciate that. Anybody else? I see the hand back there. Thank you. See that hand there. Thank you. Father, I just want to thank you so much for those that raised their hand, those that are silent about it, but you know their hearts. Father, I just thank you that you are moving in their lives. Where for them there is no hope, I'm asking you to fill them with your hope. Not optimism, but the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing completely different than optimism. Did you give them that peace, that knowing that you see them, you hear them, you're helping them to remember and you're giving them faith to keep moving. That Father, I thank you that as we're about to sing this song and worship you one more time this, this morning that, that you refill them. It may not take away the problem or the situation, but it will give them the confidence and the knowing that you're with them every step of the way. And I thank you, Father, that whatever it is that is afflicting them, whatever problem they're going through, I say by faith that by the name of Jesus, by his stripes, if it's health, if it's mental, if it's emotional, whatever the situation, they are healed or they are made whole, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.